Hey guys, thanks for swinging by our podcast today. We hope this message leaves you encouraged and filled with hope and that Christ and His goodness is meeting your every need. He keeps messing with me like I'm just a hot mess right now inside. And like he's, <laughs> he's going to have to help me. 2 Corinthians 11, and I'm just going to read two verses Two verses. There'll be a lot more after that, but I'm going to start off with two. Paul writes, he says, I'm jealous for you with a godly jealousy, for I betrothed you to one husband, so that Christ, so that to Christ I might present you as a pure virgin. But I'm afraid that the serpent, that as the serpent deceived Eve by his craftiness, your minds will be led astray from the simplicity of and the purity of devotion to Christ. Paul was worried, he says, I'm I'm worried that you're going to be led away from the simplicity and the purity of devotion to Christ. And and my fear is that I don't want us to get led away from just the simplicity and the purity of the gospel of Jesus. Like we just practiced this a few minutes ago. I felt like the Spirit spoke and we called people forward and we believed that prayer it's not, the, it's not the prayer that heals people, but it's Jesus that heals people. But it's the faith when we lay hands on the sick that they will recover. Like, that's just really simple. There are, there are no buts. <laughs> there are no buts, right? It's just, this is what the Word says. This one will believe. What if it doesn't happen? doesn't matter. This is what the Word says. This one will believe. Well, what if it takes a while? That's okay. This is what the Word says. I'm going to believe, right? I mean, it's just really simple. I mean, it's as it's, it's, it's simple as this, that be all, behold, the old is gone, the new has come. So am I the same person I was 15 years ago? No, that guy's dead. He's been crucified with Christ. And in the life that I live now in the body, I no longer live. But the life that I live now, it's through Christ and it's his spirit. So I'm, I'm, I'm really butchered Galatians 2.20. You should just look that up, but you get the premise of it. It's just a simple gospel. The Lord doesn't need us to make excuses for him. Okay? So it's, it's really simple. And Paul's afraid of this, that by complicating this, that we will lose our virginal purity and therefore lose the simplicity of loving Christ and Christ alone. Like we understand, like he, we've been betrothed to him. He's coming back for a bride. And he's not coming back for an unfaithful bride. He's coming back for a bride that's without spot, wrinkle, or blemish, that's fully devoted to him. And so Paul's like, look, by you adding stuff to this and by you complicating things, you're kind of a bride of two husbands. That does not need to happen. And so, so the danger, Paul, voice cracked. I'm going through puberty. The danger... <laughs> That was funnier in my head. The danger Paul was referring to and the relation it is to us, I want to just explain that for just a few minutes here. All right. So what was going on in this time? Paul, he's talking to the Corinthians. He's writing them a letter. And what had happened at the Corinthian church is that philosophers had begun making, adding their philosophy into the gospel of Jesus and therefore making it more complicated than it had to be. And truth be told, that kind of sounds like today. It's about taking stuff and being like, well, this sounds right. Boop, putting it in the gospel, right? 
God helps those who help them. No, that's not in the Bible anywhere. That complicates things and makes people feel guilty. And that's actually probably the gospel of Oprah, not the gospel of the kingdom. I'm, this is better than you're responding today. So, <laughs> It would be like saying that, you know, it'd be like saying that, well, karma happened and that happened to them. Because of karma. No, nowhere in the Bible does it talk about karma. That's a demonic strategy set up by the enemy. Now, we do reap what we sow, but that's not karma. Okay? So it'd be like, well, that must have happened bad because they did something bad 5, 10, 15 years ago. I don't read that in the gospel. I just don't. All right? Uh, uh, We we complicate theology. We make up excuses. We do all these things. And, and I'm just saying, we just need to take this, we need to take this book and just believe it. I don't need to add to it. I don't need to take away from it. I need to read this and just believe it. And what's in here is true. And what's in here is real. And what's in here is important. And, and I just want to encourage us, let's not, let's not make this complicated. Like, like, I just want to be really simple in my faith. Like, I love exploring, and like, I, I look up Greek and Hebrew words, all these things, and, and, and that's just because I want to get to the root of what it's saying. But I'm not going to try and make a complicated faith because I'm not a complicated man. I want it as simple as possible so that it's as easy as possible. Now, also in this time, also in this time, the religious were. Paul was like, you're complicating it. And what they were doing, the religious were like, well, we need to add this, this, and this because it goes with the law. The spirit of religious duty will always complicate the gospel. He will. Like, I don't go do this. I don't wake up every morning and I don't go do devotions. I don't. I go spend time with my father. And I don't, I don't have a, I've read a lot more the last few weeks and I've read in a really long time, but I don't go, well, today I'm going to do this, this, and this. And if I check it off, I feel really good about myself. But if I don't hit that, I feel like a no, no good, dirty, rotten scoundrel. Like how many of you have ever did that? You started a Bible reading plan and then you fell behind and you felt immensely guilty for not doing that. All right. How about you? Okay. I mean, Seriously. And, and what if it's not about that? I think those things are good. I think those things are really good. But what if it's not about that? What if it's about getting face to face with your creator? And what if it's getting in here and saying, I, there's things in my life that when I read this, it doesn't line, my life doesn't line up with it. And so I want you, when I read this, I want this to begin to read my heart and transform me and make me more like what I read. Because this is my permission slip. It's just like when you were in in junior high and high school, you had to have the permission slip, right, to to be in the hall. This is my permission slip to live life. This is my permission slip to believe for the impossible. This is my permission slip to believe for the miraculous and not believe that, like, the supernatural isn't just a once in a blue moon thing, but it's an everyday lifestyle. It's believing that. And I'll say this, like, we love revival in this church, but do not idolize revival more than you idolize his face. I like signs and wonders. I think they're pretty neat. 
I love it when the Lord touches someone, but that's not more important than his face. Mark 16 says these signs will follow those who believe. These signs will follow those that are following him. All right. That's really good. God is looking for people that will walk in the simplicity and the purity of the gospel. Simplicity and purity. What's purity? Purity is purity. It's holiness. And I don't have to try and be holy. I am holy because he made me holy. And I'm going to receive that. I'm going to walk in that. I'm going to receive that he sanctified me. And I'm going to walk in that. I'm not going to be like, oh. I, I'm, I pray every day. I say, search my heart, oh God. But I don't go with a shovel trying to dig up things either. Seriously. Seriously. That's, that's right. It's the Holy Spirit's job. It's the Holy Spirit that speaks and convicts. So I'm not going to go looking for stuff. I'm going to say, search my heart, O oh God. And if he brings something to me, I'm going to repent. Or I'm going to say, transform me, right? I'm not going to say, help me get through this. I'm going to say, help me overcome this, right? But I'm not going to be like, I'm going to look and examine and this. I'm just not going to do that because that's not my job. And when, you, when it becomes introspective like that, then it just becomes weird and icky. It really does. It complicates things. I'm just going to be like, oh, I'm, a, I'm a new creation. I'm going to live into that today, right? I can, I'm going to, I've been made the righteousness of God. We talk about this a lot. I've been, I, you know, he who knew no sin became sin so that I might become the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. I'm going to relate to that. Thank you that I'm righteous today. I woke up this morning, I was righteous. I'm going to go to bed tonight and I'm going to be like, thank you, I'm righteous. And I'm becoming more righteous by the moment. If I'm ever beholding him, so are you. It's just the gospel. All right, Jesus, help. So here's this revelation the Lord gave me. So why is this so important? Why is this so important to walk in the simplicity and the purity of the gospel? Well, so last week, Milton gave like this butchering hogs illustration. I'm not going to do that. <laughs> but I'm going to give you a farming or gardening one today. Okay, now I don't know how it came about this, but but did and I just think this is fast. I know how it came about it, but it's a long story. But, but this is fascinating to me. Now, those of you that farm or garden, do you know what a hybrid seed is? Yes. Okay, you know what one. Okay, hybrid seeds are essentially they cross pollinate two plants and they come up with a hybrid of whatever that is. And, and they do this, they do this because typically with a hybrid seed, the plant, it takes, as it grows, it takes, typically, it's, it, it could be less impervious to disease or sickness. It could be more resistant to insects, okay? The hybrid seed typically grows faster and matures quicker, there's typically a higher yield in crop when that seed is planted. Typically, all the plants or all the fruit, they are all the same size and they look just alike. So like if you go to, to Kroger, probably the vast majority of the plants in there have came from a hybrid seed because they all look almost identical. Okay? And, 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 and so they just do this. But, but here... So that's really good. And so what they do is you plant it and it's boom, it grows really quick and it produces instant fruit, if you will. 
But this is what I learned the negative about those are, is that, now, now I could be wrong, I don't think I, everything I read is points to this, that hybrid seeds that produce a plant have no ability to produce seeds themselves. The seeds are actually, that they produce, they're sterile, which means they can't produce offspring. So they have to keep cross-pollinating these other plants to produce a seed that all it does is it springs up and then eventually it dies. And then truthfully, they cost more in the long run as well. Financially, they cost more in the long run. So let me read to you about what an heirloom seed is, for those that don't know. Those of you that do know, you can just amen really loud. Amen. <laughs> heirloom seeds are seeds produced that, from a pure plant. Okay? So, so, so rather than cross-pollinating, they came from a pure plant. Now, depending on which person you read, they will say that heirloom seeds came from a plant from prior to the 1950s, or they'll say even the 1920s, that there's some, in some regions of the United States, there's, there's some plants that are in people's gardens that came from a seed from the 1920s. Now, what's amazing about these seeds, in my opinion, is that they're handed down for generations. So like those of you that are planting heirloom seeds, someone from almost 100 years ago was planting something that essentially, like, like what you're planting today is the general, generational legacy of something that was planted decades ago. Okay? <laughs> they can be handed down. They typically, uh, I don't know if this is true or not, I think it is, they typically taste better. And I think that is true. Like, I'd rather eat something you grow from your garden than go to the grocery store and eat it because it doesn't have all the yucky and gross chemicals that they're treated with. I'd rather just eat something like that. And so, so they typically taste better. They typically have more nutrition as, as well. And so I think that's fascinating as well. So something that's produced to yield a lot of fruit has less nutrition than something that comes from generational legacy. All right? They're, they're less uniform, which is meaning that, that, that if, if you go to like a farmer's market, all the crops, they don't look the same. But why don't they look the same? Well, because they're harvested at different times. And even on the same plant, if you had like a, a, an heirloom tomato plant, like it may produce some fruit earlier on in the spring or summer and one later on towards the fall. It's the same, plute, uh, same fruit but they don't, or the same plant, but they don't bloom at the exact same time. Why is that good? Because that means it doesn't use up all its resources at one time. And it's less likely, it's more likely to sustain you because not everything's going to go to waste if you don't eat it soon enough. This is really good, and when this gets, when I turn this around, I think this is amazing. Some of you already know where I'm headed. It's less expensive. Why? Well, uh, I was talking to Rob two weeks ago about this, and Rob's like, I've had some of the same seeds for 20 years, and, and we buy the, we grow our green beans, he grows green beans, and, and they haven't had to buy green bean seeds for two decades because they just keep planting the same stuff over and over and over. Like, that's pretty amazing to me. And I think this is really fascinating too. There are some families that you can read about their heirloom plants, their heirloom plants, that they come with stories of how they even got to their family. And like there's some people that'll say that they came over in the 20s, 30s, 40s, 
And they'd be like, I came from Ireland. I came from Scotland. I came from wherever. I came from Asia. And I brought this heirloom plant with me. And it came across the Atlantic or it came across the Pacific. And, and we, took it, uh, we took it across the country on a train. And, and we found this land to begin the homestead, right? We found this land where we pioneered to get to. And then we homesteaded. And then it just began to produce fruit and produce fruit and produce fruit. And so there are some people that have this amazing story about a tomato plant growing in their garden that their great, great, great grandparents planted years and years ago. That can goosebumps thinking about it. To me, that's absolutely incredible. And it's incredible because I believe it's a picture of what we're actually called to do. Generational legacy is of the utmost importance in the church. Like you understand, like, so how does that relate to the church? We're not going to complicate the gospel and compromise, because most of the time when you complicate something, you compromise something. You, we're not going to water the gospel down so we can grow great big and great big and fast. Just not going to do it. I'm not going to compromise on what I believe for those very things. And which means that the fruit grows a little bit slower. It takes more time to get stuff established. But it won't be a flash in the pan and be gone in 5, 10, 15, 20 years. Like we are starting something here that we believe will be here for generations to come. Okay. We are starting something here that we will believe that is here for generations to come. Like, we're not here just for ourselves. You're here for your grandkids, for your great-grandkids, and for your great-great-great-great-great-grandkids. That's what we're doing. Well, what if Jesus comes back before then? Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. But I'm not going to live my life not planning for generational legacy. I want something to be around for a century. <laughs> Listen to this. The importance of it is this Deuteronomy 29, 29. It, it says this, the secret things belong to the Lord, but things revealed to things revealed belong to us and to our sons and daughters forever. You know what that looks like to me? What that looks like? Like, obviously, we, we believe the presence of the Lord is the most important thing in the church. And sometimes you have to convince people of that. I don't think we have to do that here anymore. But sometimes you have to convince people that, well, what if the next generation, that's not even a thought because they just believe that to be true? Do you understand what I'm saying? And so, so it's like, we, we don't have to... And, and when we started this thing, it felt like sometimes we were talking people into believing. And it's not being mean, it's just what's happened. But we talk people into believing the Holy Spirit still moves. Well, what if that paradigm doesn't even register with our kids and our grandkids? They just expect him to move all the time because that's what he does. Okay? So that's, what, that's why it belongs to us. We receive that revelation. And therefore, our children end up receiving it. And therefore, our kids walk in it. And then actually, their grandkids will walk in something greater than they ever did. That's what the hope is. Now, now here's the thing. Kids that are in this room, just because your mom and dad are in the church does not mean you're going to go to heaven. Teenagers, you need to give your life to Jesus. You need to submit to him. And you need to repent of your sins and surrender to Jesus and believe that he died for you. That's what the word says. 
But parents and grandparents, you can give your kids a great advantage if you turn your house into a house of prayer. Like I'm just, I'm just, I'm just convinced. April and I, we've just purposed, and it hasn't been this way our whole marriage. It hasn't been this way our whole Christian walk. But we've just said our house, no matter what, will be a house of prayer, and will be a house of worship, and will be a house of praise. Right now, we got two teenage boys living in our house, and whether they want or not, they're getting saturated with it. And I, I hope, I hope and pray you guys are uncomfortable when you're out of the presence of the Lord. Like that's what we want. We want it passed down. We want it passed down. So what we're doing here isn't just for us. I want you to understand that. That's, this is why I'm getting ahead of myself in here. But, but this is why, there's two reasons I actually believe why every great revival, the first awakening, the second great awakening, the Hebrides revival, Azusa Street, there's, there's two reasons why revivals have stopped. I'm fired up today. There's two reasons why revivals have stopped. One, we, uh, a spirit of a religion enters in. And we think the new thing that God did is going to be the new thing that God always does. And again, religion is doing the right thing for too long. That's the Michael Perkins definition. And so we're like, well, if we do this many songs, if we stop, then we, we create this formula. And then what if the Lord isn't formulaic? And he's not, by the way, because he's a person. So that's why sometimes we wait. Sometimes we miss it. Sometimes we get it right. That's why we wait, because we're trying to listen to what he wants to do in that moment, rather than this is what we did last week and it worked really well. <laughs> I seriously, I, husbands, if you got your wife the same present every single year and because it worked one time, <laughs> I think after the second or third time, she's going to be annoyed and be like, I really want something a little more thoughtful. <laughs> what if what we do right here really is an offering unto the Lord and he's waiting He's, he's waiting for us to ask him what he wants and we give that to him. So, so that's why a lot of revivals have died because they're like, well, we got the market cornered. Like there was a great healing revival that broke out in the 50s. Well, again, yes, the Lord heals, but it's not about healing. It's about his presence. So the Lord moved on. I believe the Lord's actually in this moment where he's awakening people to his presence. And the other reason why Revival never lasts is because it's never passed on to the children. And don't hear, now I've, I hear this right now. It's not just your biological children. We have the responsibility to raise up sons and daughters in the faith. Too. And so it's, 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 it, you are multiplying, you are replicating yourself in other people. Crestwood people, some of y'all have been in church for really long, much longer than I've been alive. You guys have a, a lifetime of knowledge and walking with Jesus and have so much to offer the body of Christ. To our, like I'm looking at you, Judy, and I'm just, you, I just, you have so much to give. You have so much to give the women in our church. She is awesome. And so it's, it's about pouring your life into those who are coming up after you in the hopes that they will eventually surpass you. And then when they surpass you, you're happy they surpassed you. And you're not jealous and envious they surpassed you. And so most revivals that ended is because they didn't pour themselves into it because it became about them being in front of people or it became what God was doing in their midst. And they never took the time to explain what was going on in their midst to a younger generation. And then therefore, I really think it's a lack of love if you want to know the truth. 
But therefore, the younger generation came up and they're like, well, I don't know what this is. And so you know what happens? This thing that got built up, they're like, that's not mine. I'm going to start over. And you understand, it's much easier to build onto than it is to start over. It is. It's much easier. And so we are called to be an heirloom type of church. We're called to be an heirloom type of people that, that I'm hoping and praying that 100 years from now, when I'm long dead and gone, that there's people still, the things that the Lord whispers to me, that that isn't just revelation to me, but that's just truth to them. And they're building upon that. Does that make sense? That's what it is. Like, and it's not that far of a stretch to believe because we want the best for our kids. We want the best for our kids. Like, we say stuff like this. Like, we don't want our kids to go hungry. We don't want our kids to suffer. We don't want our kids to do the things that we had to do growing up. We don't. We want them to be better. We want them to be better off. We want it to be easier for them. Like, I thought the prophetic word over there, I, I say, I thought, I believe the prophetic word that the Lord spoke to me is that he said, Michael, you and April are going to be pioneers so that your kids, and I say kids, your, your biological son and your, your spiritual sons and daughters, so that they can be homesteaders. Meaning that I believe the call on the church is to blaze a trail through a path that, whether it was a path that got forgotten, because the Lord always does the new thing. Most, most of the time when the Lord does something new, it's actually an old thing that becomes new. And so I felt like our job was to pioneer through this stuff and be the ones willing to, to take a little bit of heat and take a little bit of criticism and to be thought as a lunatic so that our kids can go, we're going to homestead, we're going to enjoy the fruits of my parents' labor. Like, that's what my prayer is, man. We've been given a mandate to reproduce. That's Genesis 1.24. Then God said, let the earth bring forth living creatures after their kind. Cattle and creeping things and beasts after their kind. And it was so. Meaning, if it was a cow, it was going to make cows. If it was a bird, it's going to make bird. If it's, gonna, if it's a zebra, it's going to make a zebra. If, if, if it's a, uh, I don't know why I was thinking a pelican. If it's a pelican, it's going to make a pelican. I just think it's a weird word. But, but if it's a Christian... It's going to make a Christian. That's it. That's it. Because right after that, verse 28, he says, be fruitful and multiply. Hmm. Fill the earth, subdue it, rule over of the fish of the sea and the birds of the sky and over every living thing that moves. So why do we, why then do we fail in generational legacy? And I'm not saying we're failing. I'm saying I don't want us to fail. But why has historically we not failed? Or why, why have historically we not succeeded in this? I'm just going to be, I, I'm just going to be really plain. Is that okay? I think, I believe that sometimes the fire of first love does not remain as strong as it once was. Revelation 3. I know your deeds. You're neither hot nor cold. I wish that you were so that because you're lukewarm and neither hot nor cold, I'm going to spit you out of my mouth. Like, like, I read that, like, it's possible to make the God of the universe throw up. <laughs> I mean, seriously. 
He says, you're not you're hot, you're not cold. I mean, it's, and it makes sense. Some things are really good when they're hot and some things are really good when they're cold. Like I, I have not one time in my life said, I would like a steaming hot cup of milk. I mean, some of you like like warm milk, but whatever. But I've not done that. Well, hot milk's okay. Uh, 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 lukewarm coffee is terrible. Hot coffee's good. Iced coffee's good. Lukewarm is nasty, right? And so the Lord says, I want my body to be either hot or cold. And, and that's a whole other thing. But I really believe the Lord wants his church to be fully on fire, set up lace for him. So because you're lukewarm, I'm going to spit you out of my mouth. Because you say I'm rich and have become wealthy, you have no need of anything. You know what that means? It means that we hit a place where we're like this. Like, I thank the Lord. You have to set out more chairs this week again. I thank the Lord for that. But the moment we get content with where we are, with the degree of presence that's here, or, or what we have going on, is the moment that we start to lose that fire. If, I, if these weren't red letters, I'd say they were just mean. He says, and you do not know that you're wretched and miserable, poor and blind and naked. And he, I like this. I advise you. I, I advise you to buy from me gold refined by fire so that you will become rich and white garments so that you may clothe yourself and that the shame of your nakedness will not be revealed and I salve to anoint your eyes so that you may see. Okay, so here is, here is, moving away from the simplicity of the gospel is that it's okay not to be on fire for the Lord. I believe there's only one type of follower of Christ and that's one that's fully surrendered. And so the compromise, if you will, the complexity would be like, let's say it like this. I'm a good Christian and I'm not trying to be mean because I believe this is going to get more encouraging. But I'm, <laughs> I'm coming here on a Sunday and dropping money in the plate is not enough. It's not enough. It's not enough. Every single day we need to go, and whether it's for five minutes, whether it's for three minutes, I actually think we can start. I'm like, I want to do this 24-7, but, but I have, I'm not there yet uh, by any means close. But, but I, I want to go, and I want to go get alone with the Lord, and I want to worship Him and praise Him when no one else is looking so that I always respond in love, so that I always respond in grace, so that I always respond in mercy. That's what I want to do. I want to get alone with him and let him set me ablaze. And if I turn my heart into an altar and if the fire on the altar never goes out, I'm never going to burn out, right? I'm never going to burn out because it's not my fire. It's his fire. And the only thing I've done is supplied the altar for the fire to burn on. And that's my heart. That's my life. And so I want to go and get alone with him. Thanks for listening to this week's message. The goal of River City Hope Church is to provide as many resources as we can for free. If you'd like to support this ministry, go to HopeForRiverCity.com. Again, that's Hope, the number four, RiverCity.com.